0: Well, let's pray. We'll ask God to meet us in the Word this morning. Thank you, Father, for the ways you've been working through Jesus Christ in our midst here as a body. And Lord, I pray that you would work now as we open up the Scriptures. It's going to be a controversial topic, and Lord, we, we we want to just humble ourselves and open up your Word. I, I pray that that you would bring exactly what each of us needs to hear when it comes to this topic of spiritual gifts today. I need your heart and your wisdom. Lord, we want to be in sync with the scriptures. We want to be faithful to what you inspired your apostolic spokesman to write and help us now. Help me, Lord. I pray that the questions that need to be raised could be raised and that you would give us as a church wisdom, Lord, and teach us through your word, I pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to start by telling you a story about uh, Charles Spurgeon, one of my heroes. Charles Spurgeon lived in England in the 1800s and was a powerful pastor, loved God's word, loved Jesus Christ. And um, he preached, his church at the peak was about 5,000 people, so every Sunday he's preaching to 5,000 people in his church, and his sermons are being mailed, I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of copies of his sermons are being mailed all over the world. Very powerful leader. One day, as he was at his church preaching, he stopped in his sermon and he pointed to a man in the church. And he said, this man's a shoemaker, makes shoes. And last Sunday, he worked on Sunday. Instead of being part of God's people, didn't have to work on Sunday, but he chose to do that, so this man worked on Sunday, and last Sunday he made nine pence from making, from uh, you know, repairing shoes, and he profited four pence out of that. So he's, he's selling his soul to the devil for four pence. <laughs> okay, it's like, don't worry. I'm not gonna... <laughs> I don't and a couple weeks later, somebody from his church was door knocking through a neighborhood in London, came to this shoemaker's door, unbeknownst to him, Knocked on the door. Shoemaker answered and was holding in his hand one of Charles Spurgeon's written sermons. He said, oh, that's my pastor. Do you know Charles Spurgeon? He said, yes. <laughs> he said, I've been, I've been coming on Sundays. And, and three weeks ago, he called me out and he knew things about me that only God could have told him. He knew things about me that he could never have known on his own. How would he have known that I made nine pence that one day and profited four pence? He knew things only God could have told him. I know there, I knew there was a God. I know there's a God. I knew I needed a Savior. And that day, I became a new creation in Christ. And I'm trusting Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord now. Now, what do you think about that? Here's what Spurgeon said about that and other instances like it. The quotes in your notes will be up on the screen. Here's what Spurgeon said. I could tell as many as a dozen similar cases in which I pointed at somebody in the hall without having the slightest knowledge of the person or any idea that what I said was right, except that I believed I was moved by the Spirit to say it and so striking has been my description that the persons have gone away and said to their friends he must have been sent of god to my soul or else he could not have described me so exactly now that's an example of what we believe the scriptures describe the new testament scriptures describe as the as the spiritual gift of prophecy spiritual gift of prophecy and we're taking this sunday and next sunday to take a look at what does the scriptures teach about supernatural spiritual gifts like prophecy what do the scriptures teach about that and there's a couple of reasons we want to do this one is because great benefit comes to people when we share spiritual gifts that god gives to us tremendous encouragement and comfort and strength and conviction like the shoemaker and Help, like when Jason shared that spiritual gift with me that I, I shared about. So one reason we want to talk about this as a church is because great benefits come to people when we receive spiritual gifts and share them. Another reason is because some of you are relatively new here. And it's important that you understand what, what do the leaders here at Mercy Hill Church believe about spiritual gifts? Because there's there's lots of... I mean, there's lots of diversity in the body of Christ. And we love people who understand the scriptures differently. This is an area where godly people who love Jesus can, can disagree. Okay? But it's important that you understand what we believe and where we're going on this and what we're not believing, where we're not going on this. Another topic, another reason we want to ask this or pursue this topic is because I would guess that some of you have questions about spiritual gifts that are so big and such a block before you that you really are, are held back from from pursuing them, or you've had experiences in churches that pursued spiritual gifts that were so harmful and unbiblical and negative that you just ah, it frightens you. And I'm hoping that some of those questions, and maybe there can be some healing brought to whatever bad experiences you've had on that point. But our longing isn't just that we would understand spiritual gifts. Our longing is that we as a church body would be pursuing spiritual gifts, biblically, wisely, pursuing spiritual gifts. In in our own lives, we'd be... Asking God and growing in experiencing gifts in our neighborhoods, workplaces, home groups. here Sunday mornings as we're with each other during the week. That's what we're asking God to do this morning and next week. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. That's where we're going to start. We're going to look at some passages from 1 Corinthians 13 and 14 this morning and then give you a chance to ask some questions. So go ahead and raise your hand if you need a Bible. We'd like to bring one to you. It's very important that you can look on the scriptures. Our passion here at Mercy Hill Church isn't it just that you would know like what Jerry and I believe as the elders here, but we want you to study the scriptures for yourself. That's, that's the important thing, is that you, you can study the word of God for yourself, and so that's why we want you to have a Bible, and turn to First Corinthians 14. It's on page 960 in the Bibles we're passing out. And in the first couple verses, Paul answers a crucial question, the question, why are spiritual gifts so important? Start with verse 1. Paul says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So, the reason we should desire spiritual gifts is because we pursue love. It's because we love people, we care about people, we want to help people. And that's why we pursue spiritual gifts. Pursue love. And in the in the in the in the walk of love, in the path of love, one of the ways you can benefit other people is by earnestly desiring spiritual gifts. So the reason is because we love people. Now, if you're brand new here, let me just give you some foundation as to why people who trust Jesus Christ love people. Jesus said that people would know we're followers of His because of the way we love each other. Here's how this happens: the moment that you turn to Jesus Christ from your sin and you, you trust him as your Savior, Lord, and treasure. God's power comes upon you, first of all, and forgives you. All your sins forgiven, past, present and future. And God starts to give you times where He pours His love, His presence into your life, and you're filled with joy. You'll have times where you experience that in prayer and the Scriptures and fellowship and worship where your heart's just filled. And because of what the Word teaches, you know that you can have your heart be filled now and that your heart is securely guaranteed that it will continue to be filled forever. And with the overflow of God's love into your heart and the joy of knowing his presence, experiencing his presence, and the security of knowing that he's purchased everything you need forever, you will love other people. That's the change that the Holy Spirit brings into your heart. And so everyone who trusts Jesus Christ, you will have times where he so satisfies you in himself and so assures you of the security of your future that you will care about people around you. You will love the people in your neighborhood. You'll love your, your landscape person. You'll love your trainer. You'll love the people at work. You'll love the people in your home group. You'll love here, the brothers and sisters here at Mercy Hill. You'll love people. And Paul says that one of the ways we can love people is by earnestly desiring spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are not about who's had what gift. Doesn't matter. Irrelevance. Spiritual gifts are not about us being known as a certain church. Doesn't matter. Irrelevant. Spiritual gifts are all about loving people, caring about people, helping people for the glory of Jesus Christ. And that's why we're passionate here at Mercy Hill Church about obeying this command to earnestly desire spiritual gifts because that's one way. It's not the only way, but it's one way, one big way that we can love each other care for each other, love those in our neighborhoods, care for those at our workplaces. Look at verse 2. Here, verse 2, 3, and 4, he says more. He says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Okay, Tongues, controversial gift. That's where God gives you a language you've never learned. And if it's not interpreted, then when other people hear it, there's no benefit. That's verse 2. But look at verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Anybody here need upbuilding and encouragement and consolation? Look at what the gift of prophecy does. Verse 4 The one who speaks in an uninterpreted tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So, see, that's why we earnestly desire spiritual gifts like prophecy, mentioned here because it will help people. It will build people up in faith. It will comfort people. It will strengthen people. It will convict people. It will encourage people. It will give people hope. Let me give you an example. Look at Acts chapter 11 verses 27 to 29. Acts 11. This is on page 920 in the Bibles we just passed out. Acts chapter 11 27-29. I would give you an example from the book of Acts about how prophecy worked to people's benefit. Okay? Concrete tangible example from the book of Acts. Acts 11, 27 through 29. Here's the story. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Prophets were simply people who had regularly experienced the gift of prophecy and the church had recognized. This person gets gets the gift of prophecy a lot. Prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the worlds. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, the disciples in Antioch, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. Now think about it. What would have happened if Agabus had not received this prophecy and shared this prophecy? What would have happened? the famine would have come and the brothers, the believers in Judea would not have received relief that God wanted them to receive. But because Agabus did receive this prophecy and did share this prophecy, the church at Antioch was able to collect some funds, send them to Judea so that the people could be cared for. Makes a huge difference. So here's a tangible example of how God, through a gift of prophecy, brought benefit to the church in Judea. And so see, that that's why prophecy and all the spiritual gifts are important. It's because we love people. We care about people. We want to help people. And one of the ways that we can do that is by pursuing spiritual gifts. Okay, now prophecy we've mentioned it's in verse 1 there in 1 Corinthians 14 what exactly is prophecy? Let's dig a little deeper into that question. Again, it's, it's the one that Paul mentions right there in verse 1. It's a very important spiritual gift. What is it? Just so you can, we can kind of get this one tangible. There's a lot of unknowns about spiritual gifts, a lot of things I don't understand about them, but, but we can be clear, I believe, on what the gift of prophecy is. Very important. And again, I want you to understand it biblically for yourself, chapter and verse. Like what if what if somebody was a visitor to your home group this week and, and said, what is the gift of prophecy? They asked you this question. Would you be able to tell them? And would you be able to tell them from chapter and verse? We want to have, be equipped here. So look at 1 Corinthians 14, verses 29 through 31. This is the, the passage that I have found most helpful in explaining what prophecy is. And the reason it's so helpful is that in verse 29, he talks about prophets, and in verse 31, he talks about prophecy. So the topic in these three verses is is the gift of prophecy, but in verse 30, he doesn't mention the word prophets or prophecy. Instead, he defines prophecy with a different phrase. Very helpful to see what words he uses to describe it. So let's read verses 29 through 31. He says, let two or three prophets speak, he's talking about it in a church gathering like, like here, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged." Now, again, the topic in these three verses is prophecy. He mentions prophets in verse 29. He mentions prophecy in verse 31. No mention of the word prophets or prophecy in verse 30, but he describes prophecy with different words. And the words are, if a revelation is made to another sitting there. So that's what prophecy is. Prophecy involves God bringing you a revelation. It's where God spontaneously... Supernaturally brings something into your mind that you would not have thought about otherwise. It's like Charles Spurgeon is preaching. I don't know how this really happened in him, but all of a sudden he saw this man out there and and he knew. Shoemaker, working, ninepence, fourpence. God wants me to say this to this person. Now, he, couldn't, he didn't, didn't know the person. Spurgeon didn't think that up ahead of time. He didn't say, it looks like a shoemaker. You know? Didn't see him last Sunday. No, no, this, God just brought this into his mind. That's the gift of prophecy. Okay? Now, see, it's important to understand that prophecy is different from you thinking in your own mind, um, what would be helpful to share with this person? What might be a good scripture to share? How could I encourage them? That's very important to do. Don't stop doing that. That's loving. That's kind. That's, that's what we're supposed to be doing in the body of Christ is where you think ahead of time, what could I say? What can I share? How can I help people in my home group or, or help the brother I'm mean going to have coffee with tomorrow morning? So do that. But that's not prophecy. Prophecy is different. Prophecy is where God spontaneously brings into your mind supernaturally something you wouldn't have thought about otherwise. Okay, so we have a sharing time in our services, and and that's where we encourage you to like, give testimonies to what Jesus has done, and, and you're thinking, well, what would be? Oh yeah, Jesus did this, and I'll share that. We also have a spiritual gifts time right at the end of worship, and what we're asking God to do then is to move with spiritual gifts, like like the gift of prophecy. So prophecy is where God spontaneously, supernaturally, brings a thought into your mind that then when you share it with whoever it would be appropriate to share it with, will bring them great benefit, great encouragement. You know, there's one other crucial part, though, about the gift of prophecy. Verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. When someone shares a prophecy, it needs to be weighed. This is really important. This shows, see, that prophets are not the same as apostles, Okay. Very important to make this distinction. Apostles were specially gifted by Jesus Christ to speak and write perfect truth from God. Paul was the last apostle. We have the, the words of the apostles here in the New Testament. Okay, And when an apostle spoke because he was an apostle, the church didn't weigh what the apostles said. The person knew this is, for, this is what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. This is scripture truth. This is apostolic truth. Jesus promised that the apostles would would perfectly communicate his truth to us, which is why we have their writings in in the New Testament scriptures. And the church has understood. If the apostles said something, it's true. It's automatically true. But not so with prophets. Prophets, we need to weigh what they say. There's a couple of reasons for this. One reason is prophets are never promised that they're going to say anything perfectly. Okay. Prophets do receive genuine revelation from God, but they can be mistaken as to if it was revelation from God or something else. They can be mistaken on that point. They can be mistaken on what the meaning of the revelation is. Okay? So we need to weigh. We need to weigh what, what anybody would say to you. So, for example, if somebody walked up to you after church this morning and, and said, uh, I think God's given me a, 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 a prophetic word that you're supposed to move to Alaska. Okay? What should you do? Thank them. Okay, first of all, thank them for taking the risk. Thank them. And then pray about it. And get counsel. Weigh it. Weigh it. Weigh it. Weigh it. Get, get counsel from others. I mean, there's nothing unbiblical about moving to Alaska, so that doesn't, doesn't help. But, but get counsel from others. Pray about it yourself. If that is truly what God's calling you to do, he will help you see that clearly. We should never do something just because somebody thinks that God's told us to do something. You understand that? So we weigh. So prophecy is a revelation given by God that when we hear it from somebody else, we need to weigh it and evaluate it prayerfully and biblically and with counsel. Does that make sense? Okay, now, next question. Then we're going to open it up for some questions to see what, what this has stirred in, in your heart. Is God still giving supernatural gifts like prophecy? And like I said earlier, this is a question on which godly people disagree. Some of my best friends would teach this very differently than I'm teaching it this morning. And I love them, and they love me. And Jesus binds our hearts together. So even though we disagree on how we take the scriptures on this point, that's okay. So this is a point on which godly people can disagree. But it's important that that we as a body understand, here's the direction that we think God's calling us to move in, so that you can see for yourself from the scriptures what, what our convictions are. Our conviction here is that God is still giving supernatural spiritual gifts to the church today. And one of the main reasons is because of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 12. And again, we want you to be able to see these things for yourself in the scripture. So look at 1 Corinthians 13. Let's look at these verses. So important. I want you to see this for yourself and you can ask questions if, if it doesn't make sense to you. In these verses, Paul says the time is coming. So he's, he's writing this back in the first century. He says there will be a time when prophecy, tongues, supernatural gifts of knowledge will stop. So there is a time when these will stop. Okay, when is that? Start reading in verse 8. He says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. There will be a time when that gift will stop. As for tongues, they will cease. There's a time when that gift will stop. As for knowledge, and he's talking here about supernatural gifts of knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So love never ends. Prophecy, tongues, and supernatural knowledge, though, will end at some point in time. And when will they end? It's when the perfect comes. See that right there in verse 10? That's when these supernatural gifts will end. So when does the perfect come? That's the big question. Okay, Two very different answers that people give. Some say that the perfect is the time when the scriptures were completed, which would have been in the first century. So if that's what Paul means here, if he's saying that the perfect is the completion of the, of the New Testament scriptures, if that's what Paul means, then that means prophecy and tongues and supernatural gifts of knowledge have all ceased because that was back in the first centuries when the perfects came. See that? Okay. Help me here. Nod a little bit. Okay. The other view, and the view that, that, that we've been persuaded is what Paul is saying, is that the perfect is not the completion of the New Testament scriptures. The, the perfect is the coming of Jesus Christ, the second coming at the end of history, which is still future. Okay, And, and if that's what Paul meant, then that means God is still giving supernatural spiritual gifts like prophecy and tongues and, and supernatural gifts of knowledge. So which is true? I've already told you what we think, but let me show you why. Verse 11 and then verse 12. Look at what he says. When I was a child... I spoke like a child. He's using an an analogy here. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. So see here, Paul is describing the church before the perfect comes and the church after the perfect comes. Okay? He says that before the, the perfect comes, the church was childlike in its knowledge. And that after the perfect comes, the church will be mature and adult. Okay, that, that's, that's the illustration Paul's using here. So here's the question. When the scriptures were completed, first century, was that when the church moved from childlike knowledge to adult knowledge? Like the church at Corinth all of a sudden moved from childlike knowledge to adult knowledge when the New Testament was completed? That just doesn't work for me. That doesn't seem like what happened back then. Because they had portions of the scriptures leading up to that. They had the apostle. They had, I mean, again, there wasn't some big, huge, but big, huge change. But will the change from childlike knowledge to adult knowledge happen at the second coming when Jesus Christ returns? Will we move from knowing partially to knowing fully when Jesus Christ returns? That, yes, that, that seems to fit what he's saying in verse 11. Look also at verse 12. He says, let me get my page turned here. For now, before the perfect comes, we see in a mirror dimly. But then, when the perfect comes, we will see face to face. Now, before the perfect comes, I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Again, Paul's saying that before the perfect comes, he knows sees in the mirror dimly, after the perfect comes, he'll see face to face. And that phrase, seeing face to face, was used all through the Old Testament to describe people seeing God face to face. And that seems to fit much better in, in my mind with the second coming of Christ when you will see him face to face. And at that point, you will know him fully, just as he has known you fully. So it seems to me that verses 11 and 12, when you ask the question, what, what is the coming of the perfect? What does that mean? That seems to fit much more with the second coming. And so my conviction, and again, my longing is that you would search the scriptures and see this for yourself in the scriptures. I think 1 Corinthians 13:8 through 12, not only does not say that the gifts have ceased, I think what those verses are saying is that they will not cease until the second coming which if they have not ceased until the second coming, means we still today need to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14.1 is a command we still need to obey today. You need to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Do you? Do you earnestly desire those gifts? That's what I believe God's calling us to do in 1 Corinthians 14 today. So now let's just pause at this point and see, see what questions this has stirred up and then I'll bring you some application what, what questions and again I, it's always so helpful to have questions because I want to make sure we're scratching where you're itching so that if you've if you got you know, issues, questions Jason I have two questions I normally hear on this topic one would be how does God's continuing revelation affect the sufficiency of scripture that it's sufficient for all we need God has spoken good question and we love the sufficiency of Scripture, right? All Scripture is inspired by God. profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, that the man of God, woman of God, may be complete, sufficient in everything. Okay, so the Scriptures are all we need. And the Scriptures that are all we need tell us to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, including prophecy. Okay? So Scripture is our authority, our all-sufficient authority, and it tells us to pursue spiritual gifts what should we do? Pursue spiritual gifts. Now, does that mean scripture is not sufficient? No, we only have one perfect source of truth that we test everything by, and that's not prophecy. That's the scriptures. Okay, so it is all sufficient as our test, as everything we need in terms of inspired scripture. It's all we need. We don't add prophecies in, you know, I don't share like write down what you told me a week ago Monday night. J thus saith Jason, you know, that's not what we do. Okay, because that's not scripture. It's not scripture level. I needed to weigh that, process that, but it was very, very helpful and powerful. Thank you again. So this is our all sufficient scripture. Now follow up question? Uh huh. Yes, yeah, Virgin probably would not have called this prophecy, and I'm not that concerned about the label per se. But I don't, I don't think it's the case that that definition only came into being at the Zeusa Street revival. That was L.A. early 1900s. Is that when that was? Okay, Los Angeles. Um, but regardless of. Th- the question is, we gotta go to the scriptures and say, what does the scripture say the gift of prophecy is? That's the the most important question isn't what have various segments of the church said, because there's all kinds of different answers. So that's why we've got to go back to the scriptures and say, what does scripture say prophecy is? And again, like I said, I think the most the most clear answer for me is verses twenty-nine through thirty one of chapter fourteen. It's where a revelation comes to someone. And then they speak it and it's weighed. And if it's from God, it'll bring great encouragement and benefit. Does that help? Those are really astute questions. Ian. So this ties up that. So it seems very important to weigh. And we hear it, and whether it's ourselves delivering the prophecy or hearing the prophecy, the important part is to weigh it. Yes. That's a good question. So, in so our, our uh, thought and the way we 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 do verse twenty nine here on Sunday mornings is we want to be encouraging you all to weigh every spiritual gift that's shared Sunday mornings here. You individually, you're weighing and praying about it and saying, "Does this fit?" Now, if somebody shared something that was questionable, Phil, he's the man. He would, or I mean, maybe we would need to have a little little huddle or something, but but he would would speak to that because it's very important that the flock be protected from anything that's wrong or harmful or unbiblical. And we take this really seriously. And so if a spiritual gift was shared that was unbiblical, that was harmful, we would, Phil would, um, or I would come up, Jerry would come up, we would come up and we would say, we appreciate you sharing that. We, we don't think that's from the Lord, though. Let's talk about it some more afterwards. So church, let's just put that one on hold, okay? And then move on. We don't want to put too much embarrassment on the person. So that's how we would would function. Um, if somebody stood up and said, we believe God's calling Mercy Hill Church to start a mission to uh, Nairobi, um, we would say thank you. We will need to weigh that as a church, since that's a church-wide word. So you know, Jerry and I have got to pray about that, ponder that. Home group leaders, we've got to pray and seek the Lord about that. And So it's very important to weigh everything. So that's how we do it. Does that help? Okay. Yes, sir? I was just going to point out to her that she was raising her hand. And oh, okay. She was a hard time doing. Josie's got a question. Thank you very much. Okay. Okay. It is a gift. Okay. Yes. All right. And he does. And what the the more that he gives is not the same authority, quality of revelation as 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 a scripture at all. It's a category different, and it's weighed by the scripture, but it still can bring us great benefit. Beautiful. Cheerio. Started out as Bible-believing churches mm. have turned into cults mm-hmm. because of a, a pastor and the prophecies that were given and people did not believe them according yeah. to scripture. Yeah, And that's very, it's very frightening when uh, a Jim Jones can arise and do what he did. Mm-hmm. And so I think the church. Um, I know just for myself, I've been very. Yes, and and there are definitely so there, there's there's dangers on the side of not weighing and becoming a cult. There's also dangers on the side of not earnestly desiring prophecy and and, and refusing to do that because that's less loving. So we got dangers. Okay, so we're not going to go that way, and we're not going to go that way. We're going to go this way. Okay, this way, Sean. various television shows and the internet, and they may say, well, we have some form of of prophecy as well, Mm -hmm. and through sorcery, through crystal balls, things of that nature, and uh, I I know, biblically speaking, that it's demonic Mm -hmm. in nature, Um, and I'm wondering if you could maybe speak to that just briefly, or point out some verses that say, point out the similarity, but the difference, just so people are aware of that. It's a good question. So there is such a thing as false prophecy, and there are false signs and wonders, false miracles, right? So not every miracle, not every supernaturally fulfilled prophecy is from God. It can be from the devil. And so again, we need to weigh things spiritually, uh, biblically. You know, what's the what's being taught by this person? What's being said by this person? So the fact that somebody gets supernaturally healed does not mean that the message of that healer is, is from God because the Bible says there will be false signs and wonders. Remember, Pharaoh's magicians were able to work miracles, right? So um, just be wise. be Let's not be gullible. Let's be discerning. Let's read our Bibles. Let's Let's keep our noses in the book prayerfully, right? So... Yeah, the, it, it, is this person doing the healing, glorifying Jesus, submitted to the scriptures? Are there elders around this person, right? And th- those are l- lots of questions like that. So, Josh. Thanks, Chuck. So, for prophecies that maybe don't have, I don't know, it's not clear whether they're biblical or not. Let's say that the Acts example, there's going to be a famine. Right. right? How do you... So the Bible doesn't speak to that explicitly, right? It doesn't say there will be a famine. Um, And so first of all, there's nothing biblical about it. Okay, that kind of clears that issue out of the way. And then we would come together, we would pray. And I would think that the the Holy Spirit would give us a sense that this is from Him. I think there's got to be a subjective supernatural component, since it can't be done by black and white verse from the Bible. And so the leadership would come together, would pray, would weigh that, would ponder that. Do, do we feel like this is from the Lord? Yes? No? And, and also, Agabus' track record would have a, a role, but not like a prophet's track, being a prophet. There's a difference there, but that would be helpful also. Chuck? I think in that example, they do show some signs of weighing it because they directed their gathering of funds to Judea and uh Scripture says that there's to be a banner in the world. So they took it upon themselves to hear the Lord's will to direct... And them. deal with Judea. That's Okay, that's a good point. Another good example to look over is Acts 13, 1-3, where in Antioch the prophets and teachers gathered together, and while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart Paul and Barnabas. So there's some sense of togetherness in that. So I, I think you've got to come together, weigh, pray, talk... Are you sensing? And this may take some time—day two, three, four—not an instant thing. So it, it'll it community, and the Lord will honor that as we gather together with brothers and sisters and say, "Lord, Agabus brought this. What about the famine? We we want to do whatever you're telling us to do. Help us now. Give us wisdom now. Confirm if this is from you. The Lord will totally answer that. He will honor the body as we come together in community and seek Him for confirmation." Last call. We'll do some more next week, Tim, and then Natasha. Does the New Testament um, description of prophecy differ from Old Testament prophets? That's a great question. Really, like crazy lone guys who were often tormented. Yeah. Ridiculous. Are are they different gifts? Um, Yes. We'll talk about some more about this next week. I think, but let me just give a couple of bullet points for you to be thinking about. In the Old Testament, you have two kinds of prophets, it seems to me. Capital P prophets who were gifted to speak just like apostles were perfect truth. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Samuel. Okay. And I think you also have small P prophets. And I can't there's a passage in Numbers where some small P prophets are questioning Moses. And Moses and God says to them, I speak with Moses face to face. Your prophecies and dreams are are vague. They're, they're real, but they're they're vaguer. It's in numbers somewhere. I can't I don't know, I don't have the chapter. Maybe numbers twelve is what's coming to my mind, so you can check that out. And so in the Old Testament, you've got capital P prophets who that, that's Genesis through Malachi, that's scripture. That's like New Testament apostles. So you got Old Testament capital P prophets, New Testament capital A or just apostles, and then you also have in the Old Testament small p prophets, um, and then you also have the same function happening in the New Testament. So I would distinguish it not based on whether they're crazy out in the in the wilderness. That's another question we may want to talk to somebody about, but more on the question of the level of authority. And there's a categorical difference between Scripture level, capital P prophet, apostle. And small p prophet. We weigh this down here. We weigh, we pray, we ponder. It's got to be. It's got to be. It's got to fit the scriptures. And then this up here, it's God, capital P prophet, apostle. So I don't know if that Maybe. numbers twelve. Okay, good. Thank you very much. And then Natasha. So it is numbers twelve, by the way. Sam just said. My question was about in First Corinthians chapter twelve, where it outlines the spiritual gifts. Yes. Mm-hmm. it separates um, gifts of special knowledge different from the gift of prophecy. So then I went to the King James, and it's translated from, to another, the word of knowledge, through the same spirit, um, to another, prophecy. So like, what is the difference? Because I've had those moments in my life where God has given me a special knowledge that I would never have known about a complete stranger Yeah. That has rocked. yeah that, I don't I don't know the answer to that question I'm not sure I mean uh, my conclusion is I'm not sure these are watertight distinct categories I think there's overlap between them um so so what's the difference I don't I don't know what the difference might be I don't I don't know thanks steve Yes, some, like Agabus was a future thing, but some prophecy is also not not foretelling the future, but just just speaking forth. Maybe the difference is that knowledge would necessarily be shared with anybody. He just may want you to have that for some help for you and prophecy spoken out loud. I don't know. I mean, I don't I don't know what the difference is. I've read books on you know here. This is what the word of knowledge is. This is what the the word of wisdom is. This is what prophecy is, and I've just it's always seemed a little bit arbitrary to me, and trying to to go with that. Okay. Write down your questions. Hold them for next week. Shoot me an email. I want to wrap up here. We're over time. My apologies. But what should we do about spiritual gifts? Two things. Okay? First is in verse 1. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So, earnestly desire them. Want them. Understand that they will benefit people because of love that you want them. Not to be seen as this kind of person or whatever. It's because you love people. You love people. You love people. This will be a way that people around you will benefit. So, earnestly desire. Also, though, verse 13, look at what he says. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. This is talking about somebody who's, God's given him a word to speak in tongues, but he doesn't have the interpretation. Okay, So he's supposed to pray for the interpretation because when he prays, God may choose to give it to him. This may be a new thought for some of you. We'll talk about this more next week. But prayer can be an important part in you receiving a gift to to benefit your home group on Friday night or or here Sunday morning or with somebody in the workplace who's struggling. So earnestly desire spiritual gifts and pray for them. Those are the two things I would encourage us to do. So every day this week, desire spiritual gifts and pray, God, today for the benefit of people around me. Bring me spiritual gifts. And then when you... Uh, Have your home group meeting, whether it's Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday, which is when our home groups meet. During the day, earnestly desire, Lord, tonight, bring me a spiritual gift for my home group. I pray in Jesus' name, grant this to me. And then next Sunday morning, maybe I take some time on Saturday and pray, Lord, tomorrow morning. And then give me boldness to share it, but tomorrow morning, bring me a spiritual gift that I can share with the body to, to build them up and to help them. As we earnestly desire and as we pray, then let's see what God does. Now, we can't make this happen. God is sovereign in his mercy to dispense gifts as he chooses to. But our earnest desire and our prayer is important. It makes a difference. So earnestly desire and let's pray and let's see what God does. We'll come back together next week and we'll share how this last week go and what did God do. Okay, let's stand together. I want to pray this over us. Let's have the Almaden home group uh, coming up because we're, we're praying for people this morning. So if you're part of our... Wednesday night group coming up and be ready to pray for people. But Lord, we we lay this topic before you. Lord, we want to be faithful to your all-sufficient scripture. And it's because of what you inspired the Apostle Paul to write here in 1 Corinthians 14 that we want to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us work through questions. I pray that you would give us faith. I pray that you'd give us boldness to move with what you give us so that we can bless people and help people and build people up. And I pray, Lord, that this week, as we earnestly desire your gifts, and this week as we pray for gifts, that we would see you working and that we would be able to love other people and help other people, minister to other people in ways that we otherwise could not have. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.